You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Thank you all so much for that. Um, Jamie, I, I forgot to say I was uh, with the kids last week, and so I didn't hear the announcement about the offering plates no longer being passed around. I want to say, first of all, that is a great decision And second of all, I'm really, really going to miss the awkwardness of that moment. Um, Nothing kind of says UBC awkward like that moment where we're um, trying to figure out what row do I go on? Do I pass it down twice? Do I walk down if there's one person in the aisle? Um, uh, We'll pour one out to that at some some point. There we go. for the first time in over a decade that I've preached, um, I'm not preaching from a manuscript. Uh, I got asked to preach midweek as, as we heard about uh, Andy's sickness. And um, honestly, I probably didn't put any less time into thinking about the sermon than I would have otherwise. I just didn't have enough time to type. I have a new job where I'm always typing. And so I wanted to get away from that. So I have uh, two pages of, a, of an outline that's bullet pointed. Um, We'll see how that goes. That could mean that it's going to be an eight-minute sermon. It could mean that um, y'all are starting to fall asleep about one o'clock. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. Also, for the first time, I, I brought an actual physical Bible. First time in probably over a decade. Um, I feel like I'm like one of those real preachers who like, you know, covers the stage and does this. And um, <laughs> if, it, if it works out, maybe I'll start answering questions on Instagram on Fridays. Um, <laughs> Several years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. for a business trip. Um, that sounds weird to say. That sounds like an adulty thing to say. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. for work. Um, several colleagues had gone out to dinner, both with the organization I was with and other organizations that we kind of work with. And we had dinner. We did that thing if you're ever out in another town where you're finished with dinner um, and you're trying to figure out what do we do next. I'm usually the first person to say, I'm just going to go back to the hotel room. I've had a really long day. But because I'm that person all the time, I decided I'll be the second person to say that. Um, Well, that did not work very well because everyone else became the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth person. There was this one guy that I I didn't know from from another organization who said, oh, there's this really cool bar I want to go hang hang out at. And I was the last person who had not said... I'm going to go back to the room. So I was stuck, you know, for a little bit longer. He knew the area, obviously wanted to, I think had been to this place before. I, so, we, so I said, yeah, yeah, I'll go have a drink. And so we, we walked in and uh, sat down, and he asked me, uh, do you like games? And I thought, you know, this was a kind of get-to-know-you thing. Like, where are you from? Uh, what's your favorite color? Do you like games? And without hesitation, I said, no, not really. Um, and no quicker than like three seconds later, the, the server came up um, with a, like a, a tray full of board games. Um, apparently, this was like game night at this pub, and he knew that, and he loved games and, and thought, well, I really want to play games with someone. And so... Talk about awkward. That was an awkward time. I said, well, I guess I can play. I, I like some games. Um, uh, the truth is, I don't like any games. Um, except for, I'll play Trivial Pursuit, um, because there's not really strategy in that. 
Did someone name another game? It's okay. Um, there's a, you've probably seen this meme up before. This is um, when the rules of literally any card game are explained to me. This is true for me for any game game, not just card games. My brain just shuts down. Is anyone else like this? Like, I feel like I'm a relatively smart person, but for some reason, um, I feel like um, not a relatively smart person whenever, whenever games are starting to be ex- uh, explained to me. I apologize. I know that I've just offended many, many people, um, but if you ever want me to not come to a party that you're uh, throwing, make it at seven o'clock or later and announce that it's going to be a game night. Um, and then say the negative of that if, if you want me to show up. I still might not show up, but um, more chance. In a similar way, my brain does the same thing anytime that I'm reading scriptures and I get to a parable. Um, I don't know if it's the same thing with my brain that makes my brain just not, not work, but when I hear a parable, my mind just shuts down. I start to think, okay, I'm going to have to remember numbers. I'm going to have to remember um, you know, what happened with whoever was given what and why. Uh, whatever they did with whatever they were supposed to do with it is not the good thing and why that's the bad thing. And my mind just goes crazy. I want more context. I want nuance. I want character development. I want to know why this person did what they did and why they didn't do what they didn't do. What in their past, what, when they were kindergartners, made them afraid to do whatever. And if I don't have that, I just, I just can't handle it. Uh, and so I decided to pick a, a parable as one of our passages today in the lectionary. Uh, today's pa- parable is the parable uh, of the talents. It was read before. Guy was leaving town. He had uh, enslaved people working for him. He had given five talents to one of the enslaved people, two talents to another, one talent to the last one, and, uh, and, and, um, and he left on his journey. Now, a talent was not an insignificant amount of money, uh, and so the story goes, as you heard when he came back, the guy who had five talents turned them into ten talents, the guy who had two turned, doubled them, the guy who had one talent uh, buried it because, as he said, in the scripture, this is why I have my Bible, because my phone is too uh, small print. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Now, you've probably heard this uh, if, you're, if you grew up in church like me or um, even if you've listened to Dave Ramsey speak, um, have heard this probably multiple times. And you've heard one of, a, uh, one of a couple of interpretations that are very similar to each other. One is taking this word talent and kind of teaching a lesson from it that we've all been given talents, things that we're good at, um, and we need to make the most of it and not to squander it. This is, by the way, um, based on a very accidental, um, uh, kind of an accident of language with, the, with talent in the ancient world not meaning anything like how we you know, understand the word talent. Uh, the other interpretation, same thing, but replace it with money. Um, stewardship, we've probably heard this. We talked today, today uh, Kristen and I, about how our um, preachers growing up, this would always be the stewardship sermon, sometimes once a month, sometimes four times a year. Um, maybe we will need to be preaching this more since we're not passing the basket around. Um, <laughs> but we, we will see. Uh, either way, most of us look at this parable uh, through the lens of free market American enterprise. We see it as an admonition to take what we have and make more of it. Because of these traditional interpretations, because of these ways that I've always heard this parable taught, I have a serious problem with this parable. It feeds into capitalist greed It ignores the theme of privilege. Talk about why um, wanting to know the backstory. I want to know about why the person who was given five was deemed more worthy to be given five and why the one who was given one was only deemed worthy enough of being given one. Uh, It cast aspersion, and it kind of makes the one who was given the one talent and buried it and made him uh, into the bad guy. It ignores the possibility that he may have been right about the corruption of, his, uh, of the person who had enslaved him. Because, of these, because each of these traditional interpretations uh, come from faulty um, understandings of how we read the parables of Jesus. These are faulty interpretations. I'm borrowing from Nadia Boltz Weber here, who preached a sermon about Uh, The parable that happens just before this that I'm going to talk about in a second, she says this. This is her talking about the parables, specifically about the one she was preaching about, but it's relevant to all of them. The assumption we have that our job is to find the moral instruction in these texts is what I call the parable trap. Welcome to it. See, there are many things you can do with the parable. You can meditate on Jesus' parables You can struggle with them. You can enter into them. You can speak of them. But the very best way to suck the life out of a parable is by attempting to figure out the so-called moral of the story. Because parables aren't about morals. Parables are about truth. Hidden, unyielding, disruptive truth. Not to put too fine a point on it, but Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not you will know the moral of the story and the moral of the story will set you free. 
So taking guidance from Nadia Boltz-Weber, what if instead of trying to figure out where we fit in this parable, uh, instead we enter into it and we struggle with it and we look around, uh, look around it and see if there is something we might have been missing. I think uh, to do that, we have to look at uh, two other parables, one that happened right before it and one that comes after it. The one that came before it uh, is the one that Nadia Boltz-Weber was preaching about. It's the, the parable of uh, the ten bridesmaids. You may remember the story. Another one of these things where I have to figure out, okay, does the number matter? Talking about oil and lamps and all of this, but the story is there were ten bridesmaids waiting on a groomsman. Um, I didn't look into all the cult- cultural things of why there are ten gri- bridesmaids and one groomsman, and we don't hear about a bride, but um, that's for another time. Bridesmaids had lamps. Um, five of them had enough oil uh, for their lamps. The other five did not have enough oil. They didn't worry about figuring out um, the oil situation. Uh, it doesn't seem like they needed to know that because they were waiting for the groom in what was a, apparently day. The groom was late. Um, the groom came, though, at night, and the five bridesmaids who had uh, enough oil um, went with him and got to go into this wedding feast, and the other five were shut out, and they were told, basically, you should have had enough oil. Got to find my place on my bullet point. Oh, so that story, the the, the bridesmaid story, also does not seem to fit in with the economy of God that we see when we put it up against other stories, like the feeding of the 5,000, like um, uh, Paul's sermons about grace and how, um, you know, there's enough grace to go around for everybody. So where do these parables fit? So then the parable that happens after it is probably one of the top three of Jesus' parables that we Uh, know about. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. In this, we have um, Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And the story um, many of you will will know is um, uh, uh, like a shepherd gathering sheep and goats. And it says, you know, the sheep will be on the shepherd's right hand and the goats will be on his left hand. Uh, And to the sheep, the shepherd will say, um, you know, I was, or the Son of Man will say, uh, I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Um, I was in prison, and you visited me. Come into my kingdom. To the goats, uh, I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was hungry, you did not feed me. I was thirsty, you did not give me something to drink. On, on, on you're cast out. What do we see when we read these stories next to each other? In one, the story of the bridesmaids, we see a story about this myth that there's not enough. Nadia Boltz-Weber says this about uh, the bridesmaid story. Um, In that story, scripture calls the five bridesmaids who didn't have enough oil foolish and we read that and think, well, they were foolish because they didn't get enough oil. But what if the thing that made them foolish is that they listened to the other, other five who said that they, needed, uh, that they needed 10 lamps? 
What if they were foolish for kind of not, for believing this lie that everyone else believed, that there wasn't enough light for everyone? Five lamps is plenty of light for 10 people. On top of that, the groom had to have come at night. He had light. There was enough for everyone. In another, this parable today, the parable of the talents, we have a story of the haves and the have-nots and of a master who has been accused, I would say maybe credibly, uh, of being corrupt. The scripture never says one way or the other, uh, but, we, but we tend to assume uh, that this master was a good master. Um, so in this one, rewarded people, this master, um, rewarding those who made things for him, who expanded his wealth. And in this last parable, we learn about those who stance toward the hungry, impoverished, and the enslaved or the imprisoned, and the stranger was one of neglect, and others whose entire lives were oriented toward the hungry, impoverished, the enslaved, in the imprisoned. What if Jesus is not wanting us to enter into each of these stories and figuring out, okay, who are we in each of these? But uh, Matthew, who has assembled these stories next to each other, um, is showing us three different ways to live into the reign of God. One way uh, sees, sees the world as with limited resources. Um, another sees it as this... Um, uh, you know, dog-eat-dog world of trying to, to make um, things for other people. But another says, there's enough for everyone. When I preach at UBC, this is my um, actual, where I wrote out a script. I borrowed a script from a previous sermon. When I preach at UBC, I usually like to say some version of these words at the beginning of my sermon. But because of the text today, I wanted to save it for the end. If you are new to UBC or you just need a reminder, know this. And I say this especially in light of this parable that we read today. We are a community that believes beauty and creativity are some of the greatest gifts from God and are to be treasured and practiced. I hope you felt that walking through the doors and participating today. We are a church that welcomes your doubts without an expectation that they will be resolved anytime soon or ever. And I didn't write this um, down, but I will say, we also welcome what you have to give without any expectation that you expand it. We are an inclusive community that says yes to God's affirmation of all people, including those in the LGBTQ plus community. And we believe whatever your sexual orientation or gender expression happens to be, that it is a gift from God, and when we say you are welcome here, what we mean by that is that you are welcome to fully participate in the life of this church, including the waters of baptism, the calling of ministry, and the covenant of marriage, and so on and so on. We, be we believe, also in light of these passages, Jesus calls us to value justice, kindness, compassion, and love. And lastly, these are usually the words I lead with. We believe that whatever you have to offer in this moment or in our life as a community together is neither too much nor too little. 
God accepts your simple presence and your simple gift here as a gift. We like to close uh, this time of uh, of the service in a time of silence, uh, giving the Spirit an opportunity to minister something new to us or to correct something that I may have said incorrectly. So let's take that time now.